So we are in a season that I'm calling, we're calling gathering. Um, but there are some pieces here in the sanctuary that I want to draw your attention to and make sure that I give you a frame of reference for them. So first is our tree of life with the masks hanging on it. We did a ritual last week, if you weren't here, where we hung masks on the tree of life. That is not to say that we may not, that, that we are done with masks, okay? Because we may have to bring them back. We don't know what the future holds. That is meant to represent our grief, our suffering and our loss over the past two years. It's, it's meant to be a, a physical, visual reminder of the hard times we have gone through the past two years. And then I want to call your attention to the sheep that are behind the choir. Uh, back in the fall, um, Steve Wilson, our watercolor teacher from the academy, came to me and said, I would like to challenge the students to do a project where they all have something similar to focus on and create their own project. And he said, is there anything that we could do that would, would work with and, and collaborate with what you're doing in worship? And I said, you know, every spring there's a Good Shepherd Sunday. Turns out I'm wrong on that. The Good Shepherd isn't every, it feels like it's every, every season, every spring, but because um, it's not in year C, but we put it in year C because we're not, we're off lectionary anyway. So this week, you heard me talk about the lost sheep. Next week, our scripture is going to be on the Good Shepherd. So you have sheep to help you be in that mindset of what it is to have sheep. I think he told me there were 16. I didn't count them. Um, but this is a class of sheep, <laughs> a, a small flock. Um, and I would encourage you to come up and see them up close because it's amazing the, the intricate di differences between the sheep. Um, and it kind of ties well into um, even the scripture for today and, and the sermon that I'm going to preach. So I want to start by saying that I am glad that I am part of a team, that we are, we are a community together, and, and in that we take care of each other. Because I received an email from one of our team, one of my, the team members, to remind me that it's Mother's Day. Do not laugh. I'm, I am very grateful for that reminder. Because when I'm planning worship, I get very, uh, I'm very good at compartmentalization. So I'm in worship mode. And Mother's Day is not a liturgical day. <laughs> So I tend to ignore the culture and focus here. 
And so I was grateful that that person reminded me to not forget the culture. Saying that, though, I also want to say that I want to look at this as a day to celebrate family and all the ways that we do family. Because I know that there are women who specifically do not come to church on Mother's Day because they may, not have, cho- they may have chosen not to be a mother or they may have wanted to be a mother and it didn't work out. Or there are issues around mothering for them. And so they stay away. And I want this to be a safe place for all. So I want to celebrate all of our families, all of the people who nurture and encourage us, and all of the beautiful variations of family that there are in this world. And I'm going to say that we can't be family. We can't, our relationships are not healthy if we do not have patience. Patience is at the heart of a relationship. And it has to be patience from all sides. As I was thinking about patience, I was thinking that patience is almost a byproduct of forgiveness. Unless you are able to forgive another, to have mercy for another, to accept another as they are, you will not have patience. It's wrapped in there. And the good news of all of today is that God has patience for all of us. And and we celebrate that. A question for us So God has patience for us. I think our question, I put the question of how much patience do you have? But I'm going to push even harder. How much patience do we have for God? Because sometimes God doesn't act in our time frames. So I've been talking about patience, and I specifically made that a fairly long piece without note and completely ignored the picture that's on the screen. But those are my dogs. And the, yes, the completely brown one is eight months old. That is an eight-month-old puppy. And she is learning patience as I am learning patience. 
because you may look at those dogs and think, wow, their owner needs patience. But I'm going to say that the dogs also have to have patience with me because I don't always understand what they're trying to tell me. And I don't always react in their time frame. For those of, some, some of you have been on Zoom calls with me, and all of a sudden a dog face shows up, trying to get my attention and saying, hey, I need something right now. We both need patience. That's, that's that relationship, right? It's not about me dominating the dog. I am the alpha. If you're a dog person, you know what that means. But it's, it's about that relationship. That my dogs know that I care for them and they care for me. So our scripture today contains two parables. Something about parables. Parables always have something ridiculous in them. Something that would make those first century listeners go, what? No way. And, and, and it may be the same thing. An element of surprise. The, they did what? Right? Which might be the same thing or it might be two different things. To me in these, I'm going to say that there's a little bit of both. Okay? Um, there is a very um, knowledgeable, I think she's well known, uh, New Testament and Jewish scholar named Amy Jill Levine, who um, has done a lot of work on parables. And she, I appreciate what she says because she, she approaches the parables in the New Testament from a Jewish perspective, from a first century Jewish perspective, because she understands her, her history too. So we look at this first parable of the owner who has 90, 100 sheep. So first of all, she wants to tell us the fact that this person owns a hundred sheep does not, that means that they are a person of means. They are not a poor person. You don't own a hundred sheep and be poor. You wouldn't have been able to afford them. So it's a person of means who has a hundred sheep and notices that one is missing. Have you ever been someplace where there's a hundred people and you could tell who is missing? I, I will own that I have a hard time. It's, it's very challenging for my mind to look at any collection of anything and say what's not there. That's just my, my mind doesn't process that way. 
But to, to have a hundred and sheep, hundred sheep and say that lamb chops missing means that there's a lot of relationship going on. And then the ridiculous part, the owner left 99 sheep to find one. So while the owner is out looking for one sheep, the other 99 are having a party, getting lost, wandering off. Doesn't say he took 99 sheep, put them in a sheep pen, and then went look, looking for one. He left 99 sheep in the wilderness, is what it tells us, to look for one. That's the part that we're supposed to go, what? He did what? And then when he comes back, one sheep. Okay, so there's, there's got to be some economics people in here. So one sheep, what is the value of one sheep out of a hundred? He finds one sheep and throws a party? You got a hundred sheep. I mean, yeah, that sheep has value. But when you're talking those kind of numbers, how much value does one sheep have? It's not the difference between eating or not. But not only does he come home with that one sheep, he throws a party. That's the part where you go, no. No, he did. For one sheep. He threw a party. Why? It's one sheep. Think about that ridiculousness. Now let's go to the, the lady with the coins. I imagine that this lady would have had one of those small cloth bags, maybe with a drawstring that she kept her coins in so that when she went to market, she could put it somewhere close to her, keep it close, tie it to herself maybe even. But if you picked up a bag of coins, could you tell that you have nine instead of 10? Could you even look at a stack of coins and say, that's only nine, not 10. I mean, yeah, if you like count them out, right? It's easier than the one out of a hundred, but, and then, see, we've always said that the woman was poor. So she needed that, that that one coin would make the difference for her. But Levine argues that that's not true because if she, if she needed that one coin to live, she wouldn't have thrown a party too because she also f throws a party and she invites all of her girlfriends in. Come on over, we got a party here. Over one coin? When she has nine? Think about whether you still bend over to pick up a penny when you see one. 
or if you go, mm, yeah, that's not worth the effort. Some of you probably still do. I still do. I still pick up that penny because I was taught to pick up that penny. That's still a penny, right? We have that mindset. But here's where I'm going to push us a little bit more. We hear these stories, especially the story of the lost sheep. Because we we remember that we're supposed to be in the role of the, of the sheep, right? And we want God to punish that sheep. We don't want God throwing a party because that sheep was found. We want that sheep to pay. We want there to be a penalty for getting away from the flock. You don't, you don't, get, to go, you don't get to go do what you want to do on, on our time and not have some repercussions. Because we want a punitive God. And there isn't a punitive God in this. This is a forgiving God. This is a patient God who looks at us and says, come on, come on home. It's a party. We're going to do the prodigal in two weeks. It's not what we expect. It's not what we want. But here's the thing. If God thought like we think, would God be God? Do you follow that? If God did what we think ought to happen, would God really be God? Or would God just be like us? Because I think God has more love and more grace and more patience than we understand. And I think the ultimate line, the ultimate verse in the Bible that exhibits that is when Jesus is on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He went through all of it, and he still wasn't angry. He didn't want to lash out. He took it all. God took on this frail body that breaks down and doesn't feel good and has thoughts about how should, it should all be about me, and this scripture reminds us it's not about us. Luke kind of tries to make it about us, but I don't think it's meant to be about us. Because you got to read Matthew's version too. Matthew 18. This is about telling us who God is, which is bigger than we understand. It was just May 4th, so I'm going to give you a Star Wars analogy for my Star Wars people. 
we watch Star Wars and we want to be the rebellion. We say we are, we're the rebellion. We're the good guys. But in reality, too often, we're the empire. Because we want to tell people how they're going to live their lives. We want to tell people where the walls are, where this is, this is how I want to live, so you have to live that way too. This is my moral set, so it has to be your moral set too. And we're going to impose that on you. That's who we often are. And that's not who God is. And I don't think it's who we're meant to be. Even though we do it. So where's the good news? The good news is that this ends both of them, and actually all three of them, because we'll get to that one too in two weeks. They all end in a celebration. And this is where I also think we fall short. Because we get so caught up in being penitent and and all of the ways that we failed that we forget to party. God doesn't want us sitting here beating ourselves up. God wants us to recognize that we are loved more than we understand. And we are offered more life, more new life. We just have to wake up. It's here. But we're missing it. Because we're so, we've got these blinders on and we're so focused or compartmentalized <laughs> on, on what's in front of us that we miss the beauty and we forget to celebrate. We are in a season of resurrection, my friends. And with the preschool, every year before Easter, I go through the windows and I end on the, re- on the Easter window, the resurrection window. If you don't know which one it is, it's the last one. <laughs> and it's the one, and this is how I say it to the kids, it's the one with the A word. There's an A, a word that begins with A. And that word is Alleluia. Now, Alleluia is like, praise the Lord. It's meant to be exuberant. Think Maybe think back about Easter, because you all look a little half dead or asleep. Try, I'm trying to give you energy up here, but you're, you're all looking like you're fading out on me. So what I'm going to do is I want us, we're, we're going to do it on the count of three. This is exactly how I do it with the kids. I'm going to count to three, and we're all going to say, Alleluia, but we're not. We're going to do this like we're, we are talking to God. We are grateful and thankful and excited people because of all that God has done for us. So I was going to say, are you ready? I'm not sure you are, but we're going to do it anyway. So on the count of three, I want you to alleluia your heart out as much as you got. Ready? One, two, three. Alleluia! Look how much noise you made. You all just woke up. 
God wants us to be transformed. God wants us to have this new energy that is available to us if we will just embrace it. So the question for today is, for what do you rejoice? What is it within your life? And I'm going to ask Flo to come forward. We are in this season of gathering, and we're sharing stories. So I've asked Flo to come forward and answer this question about what she, for what she rejoices, to share something with you. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I am Flo Waldron. I am usually with the fourth to eighth grade youth during the earlier service, running their Christian formation class this year. And then during the second service, I'm either up in the sound booth with my children who are up there running slides today and lights and everything else, Susie's waving at me, or I am watching from home. So, because we all go home and get comfy in our PJs and stuff. Um, so what am I rejoicing about? Uh, for those of you who've seen me walking around church lately, you'll notice that I do not have any crutches today. I am down to one leg brace. That's it. Um, this is a pretty big deal for me. Um, I am very, very grateful that I can walk again. Um, I have long learned throughout my life not to take this ability for granted because my body has not behaved the way it should most of my life. We'll put it that way. Um, today, we had words in our sermon about patience. Last week during storytelling time, we had words about um, the pandemic being a good reminder that God is in control and not us. Um, for me, the pandemic has pretty much overlapped with another very, very present reminder of that from God. Um, Susie, my youngest there, was training during the fall of 2020 for her first 5K. And um, at that same time, I was realizing that walking was not working right again for me. Um, this is not the first time this has happened in my life. Um, but it was, it's been a pretty painful two years with surgery involved. As many of you know, I had more surgery in March. Um, that was my sixth knee surgery of my life. Next up is a total replacement on the other knee this summer. Um, but this is not the first time God has worked on this lesson with me. God's been working really hard. I'm, I'm a slow learner sometimes on patience and who's in control since high school. Um, I actually spent a good bit of high school yelling in my head every night at God. Um, my health problems were the least of them. I had a lot of other things going on, and I would be like, God, why? Why? I, I just don't get it. Why? And by the end of each one of these episodes, God would be like, well, this is my take, you stupid idiot, because I have a bigger plan, and it's not your plan, and you don't know how that works. So you're just going to have to be patient and trust me. So um, high school was my first round of knee surgeries and not being able to walk. Um, the next round came uh, not quite a decade later. Um, I always thought that 
I went to grad school in Minnesota because I had a great advisor there. I had a great backup. I did not realize until I spent years four and five on the slow track getting my left knee put back together that God had put me there because the one surgeon in the country who could fix my knee was right there. So um, I keep trying to be patient with God every time God gives me another lesson like this. But again, I've learned how to be grateful for the times that I can literally move like a normal person. It's not always my knees that fall apart. Um, I like to hope my children have learned a little bit of patience from this as well. Um, but one other thing I've learned over time is the power of prayer. Um, everybody except my immediate family and my surgeon thought I was absolutely nuts to have surgery to get, in that case, my wrist, not one of my knees, put back together when I was pregnant with Caleb because you don't have surgery and major anesthesia while you're pregnant. Um, that's just not something that is generally advised for the health of the baby or the mother. But the choice I was faced with was I get surgery then or I wait till after she was born and risk use of my dominant hand forever. And so I had to trust God and my surgeon. And there was a lot of prayer, not just for me, and everything worked out okay. And I've also learned a lot to rely on others, which I'm not very good at doing. Um, I tend to like to rely on myself and not be beholden to other people. But um, yeah, it was, it was interesting having more knee surgery a few years later when she was not quite walking yet. Um, and I had to rely on other people to help me. Um, those of you who remember during my time in this congregation when I kept breaking bones one year after another that would not heal. Um, and the entire time that Susie had to be picked up from kindergarten, I was unable to drive and pick her up, so I relied on many of you to help me with that, for which I'm very grateful. Um, but the other thing, I guess the other example of the power of prayer that I've learned through this whole journey, along with the being patient, trying to be patient, trying to say, okay, God, what is it you have to show me this time? I know there's a lesson in here somewhere. I just, I don't know what it is, so I'm just trying to be patient, waiting for it. Um, yeah, the, um, the biggest example of prayer answered that I have ever had probably um, I don't know how many of you have been on pilgrimage to Jerusalem ever. Um, I've only been once. There's a section of, the only section remaining of the second temple in Jerusalem that's known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And according to tradition, you go and you pray at the wall and your prayers are answered. And I had heard that before I went and I was like, okay, yeah, it would be really cool if I went and prayed at the Western Wall and had my prayers answered, but I'm not holding my breath. But it would be really cool if that happened. So I went, I gave it my best. Um, my mom had been on pilgrimage before, so she advised me to write down my prayers ahead of time so I didn't forget any. But the topmost prayer on that list was for some answers as to why my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Why, as I warned my husband when I was pregnant with Kayla and my wrist fell apart, you know, just so you know, 
every 10 years or so, something's going to fall apart, and you're going to need to be ready for that, because that's just how my body works. I don't know why. Um, so I prayed that day, first and foremost, for some answers. And within 48 hours, got a text from my doctor back in the US with the results of my spinning into a test tube for a genetic test a month before with the rare condition, the rare genetic mutation I have that explains why my body has never worked right. So I'm now on medicine for it, and that has helped me heal better from this most recent surgery and should help me when I get my first knee replacement this summer, and hopefully I will then have maybe another year, 10 years before I need more surgery. So prayer and community and patience, and God's the one really in charge, not us. And will you join me in the spirit of prayer? Parenting God, we give thanks and celebrate today that you are one of steadfast love and patience. We thank you for the women in our lives who have mothered us and for the ways in which we have helped to nurture and encourage others. We give thanks that when we are lost, you seek us and call to us. When we do the same with those, may we do the same with those who are lost in our families too. May we reach out to those who are missing from our congregation. May we in patience and steadfast love look to reconcile the brokenness we see. Today we think of those among us and among our friends who need your love and care. We also think of the people of the Ukraine, world leaders, and for those graduating as they embark on new paths of life. We lift to your care those who are grieving during this season and for your steadfast love and mercy, which is with us always. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>